This is Truth and Focus, your radio program for worldview talk and issues that matter, with Josh Cumston and Gordon Teeson, broadcasting from the studio at Nebraska Christian Schools. Welcome to Truth and Focus. I'm Gordon Teeson, and I'm your co-host for today's program. Josh Cumston is not with me today. He's actually traveling in Asia, recruiting international students in Nebraska Christian Schools. Some of your listeners may not know that we have almost 30 students from many parts of Asia that are part of our international program at Nebraska Christian Schools. And so Josh is over there for the next couple of weeks. But today in the studio, we have Justin Erickson. Welcome to the program today, Justin. It's great to be here, Gordon. Justin is the senior or lead pastor at Highland Park Church in Columbus. He was our guest speaker today at chapel. So we appreciate that message. And we'll be listening to a portion of that message in just a few moments. But Justin, I'd like you to tell our listeners a little bit about today's message, why you decided to uh, bring this message today. Well, anytime I get the opportunity to be here, it's a thrill. And I love these students. I love watching their heart for the Lord. I love listening to them worship. Mm -hmm. I love, as a preacher, watching them engage even with the scriptures as it's open to them. And especially the Lord had laid a message on my heart today about love for Christ Mm -hmm. and what it means to have true, authentic love for him. Not the kind of squishy love that we hear about that's sort of feel good, just Mm -hmm. kind of an undefined mystical experience, mm-hmm. but true love for Christ and what that looks like. And especially how one of my favorite Bible heroes that I identify with most so often, Peter, how Peter, who had utterly denied any relationship with Christ at all, was restored in his relationship with Christ mm-hmm. and then to usefulness and ministry. It's one of my absolute favorite stories, and it's the kind of message that I think fits a context like this because there's so many opportunities to grow in love for Christ mm-hmm. here and to sit under his word by the faithful teaching of, of the leaders and teachers but to say in it all, let's not miss Jesus. Let's not miss who he is and what a what a truly healthy relationship with him looks like. So Lord put that on my heart and I thought I can't I can't not mm. preach this as so much in my own in my own wheelhouse. So it was a joy. Well good. I'm anticipating a great weekend coming up. Mm-hmm. It'll be past that time for you listeners, but as we said in the studio, we're preparing for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes Weekend of Champions. That's another ministry that I serve and am a part of. And so, Justin, you're going to be our main speaker for that, and that's in Grand Island at uh, Senior High over the weekend. We have about 700 to 800 students at that, so I'm excited about that. But tell us about ministry at Highland Park, maybe just a word about the Weekend of Champions, what you're planning for that. Oh, well, it's exciting. I don't want to give too much away because it's going to be an incredible event, but the Weekend of Champions is something I've been looking forward to and praying about for a while here, and to define what a true champion looks like. You know, the world defines success Mm -hmm. very differently than we do. It's competition step on the guy when at all costs. The true champion biblically pursues Christ in everything. Mm. And what it means to, as a true champion, then have the right kind of goal to undergo the proper training Mm -hmm. and preparation that's necessary. And even the paradox of how you have to lose first in order to win. And what it means to have a, a right relationship with God through Christ. My very first opportunity to speak at an FCA event was as an atheist. And so I'm really Mm. looking forward to this one because FCA has a special place in my own heart. And I left the very night I spoke at the FCA event asking for anybody in the room who knew the gospel to share it with me, and nobody did. That's because nobody knew. That's not going to happen at the Weekend of Champions. It's an incredible opportunity to serve and care for the huddles that are scattered all over Nebraska and to watch God work in young people. And I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled about the opportunity. At Highland Park, it's just an extension of what we do. That's our passion. We want to give ourselves away. And so opportunities that come like this are just exactly what we're trying to focus our hearts on as a church. What does it mean to give our hearts away for, for mm-hmm. Christ and for his cause? 
Well, and recently you hosted the Bold mm-hmm. Church Conference. Mm-hmm. Could you tell our listeners about that? I thought it was an awesome conference, and hopefully it's something you can do in the future as well. Oh, absolutely. Bold was a thrill. It was a thrill. And, and really the, the genesis behind it is where are the faithful Christian men and women who want to take a stand for truth, not in an obnoxious sort of bravado way, but men and women who are unafraid to live by conviction, that there's truth that they're willing to live to proclaim and die to defend. And we didn't have to reach any farther than two exceptional expositors, Al Moeller, who's the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and a formidable opponent of uh, error in his own right, and Rick Holland out of Kansas City a good friend and mentor of mine, both of whom mm-hmm. just came and brought God's Word to tell us two things. What does it look like for us as Christians to live with boldness in our faith where we are willing to, at all costs, make Christ known? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, how do we as a church come together where we live day in and day out in a culture like the one that Titus was in, where everybody in the culture is evil beasts, lazy gluttons, and liars? How do we live with priority and conviction as a church with strong leadership, a faithful commitment in our own heart to purity, and a tenacious resolve that our discipleship will produce life change. Those priorities really helped us, especially in the encroaching darkness that seems to be surrounding us and gagging us. There's a need for Christians to not lay down, but to stand up and to be bold. Not that they're not afraid, but that they've said to their fears, I will not step away. I will not be silent. So it was an incredible weekend. You can listen to the audio online at boldchurchconference.org. All the messages are up. We're going to be uploading the video soon too. Absolutely life transforming. Incredible. With that, let's join Justin with today's message. Tell the truth. How are you guys this morning? You're tired. Am I the only person who looks forward to this Sunday more than any other day of the, of the year? I, I look forward to daylight savings time in the fall more than I do Christmas. Anybody with me on that? That extra hour is something that so improves my sleep quality, so improves my love for Jesus. Um, it, is, it is unlike anything else in the world is to have that extra hour and then to have that extra hour again the next day and again the next day. It is a wonderful thing. My least favorite day of the year, as you could imagine, is the one in spring where we have to give up that hour. I don't know what it is, but I love the kindness of God in the gift of sleep. Psalm 129, I think it is, talks about how good God is to give us the gift of sleep, and I amen and amen that. Well, it is great to be with you. I look forward to every opportunity I have to come and be with you. You sound great. You've got a, a fuller, richer sound even in your worship, and I don't simply mean instrumentally. I mean your hearts seem so much more every time I'm with you to be in love with the Lord, and I just I commend that in you. It's His grace at work. And every time I get to be with you, I have such a joy because you're responsive to his truth. I love opening his word with you. I love watching you grapple with the text and then take home with you, I trust, the message that the Lord has for us. Open your Bible, if you would, this morning to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. I want to speak to you this morning, of course, about your soul and especially want to talk to you about your love for Christ. Love for Christ. There is something in our relationship with Christ that God wants now, that eternal life, you and I know, isn't about heaven only. Heaven's real, and heaven is where our hope is, heaven is where our treasure is, it's where our longing is, but in reality, eternal life, even Jesus said, isn't about one day, right? Eternal life, Jesus said in John 17, 3, is that they may know you, the one true God, as Jesus prayed, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's eternal life. It's a quality of life here and now where in your relationship with God, you thrive in a relationship of love. 
Even Paul said this, remember, when he talked about how he knows that his greatest joy is to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own that is derived from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes to you by God. Why? Philippians 3, so that you might know him. Salvation is knowing him. And hell is filled with a lot of religious people. Hell is filled with people who have gone to Christian schools. Uh, hell is filled with people who one day will get the shock of their lives because they'll stand before him. And this is one of my greatest fears as a pastor, is that people would actually leave the church where I pastor sitting under my preaching and the next day be in hell. And hear one day from the lips of the Lord Jesus himself when they say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name do many wonderful miracles? And he'll say to them, I never what, you know? I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That the issue is whether we know Christ and whether that saving knowledge of Christ has truly transformed us where we're different from everybody else who just professes to know him. That's the shock that some need now, many need now, before they get to the place in their lives where it's too late. And the real issue is do they, do they know him? And, and in reality, is that knowledge of him translate into love for him? In John 21, you have a very interesting scenario. You have Peter... And Peter here, as John's gospel comes to its end, and John has all been about our relationship with Christ, how to have a true saving relationship. All the things that are put in there, John says, are so that you may know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and having laid it all out on the line and explained clearly who Jesus is, he is God come in the flesh. He is divine. He is God, very God, come to accomplish redemption for you and me. By this time in the story, he has died on the cross as a substitutionary atonement for sinners like us. He has risen triumphantly from the grave to overcome sin and death itself. He is the victor about to ascend on high where he will take his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of God until he comes again for us in glory. And yet there's one thing that Jesus has left to do, at least that John records. He has to go after the one guy who had professed allegiance to Christ, who knew Christ intimately as one of the three, Simon Peter. Peter himself has denied that he knew Christ. Peter himself, who was the object of Jesus' calling, Jesus' teaching, Jesus' grace, has found himself in a situation where while Jesus is pummeled with fists from the Sanhedrin as he's beaten up in a kangaroo court at night, Peter standing by a fire in front of a little girl saying, I don't even know him. And Peter went further than that. Peter, the text says, if you go back and read the accounts, when he denied that he even knew Christ, he pronounced a curse on himself and swore, I don't know that man. That is to say, if I know Jesus, let me go to hell. That's how certain I insist I don't have anything to do with that guy who in a few short hours would hang on the cross between heaven and earth in order to bring both together. There's some unfinished business with Jesus. And Jesus is coming after Peter. Peter has denied that he had a relationship with Christ and Jesus is coming to restore that relationship with Christ. And as he does, what I want you to see, the biggest accent of this whole story is his love. Is his love. There is a love for Christ that Peter has, that Jesus put there, that will not go away. And I want you to see this as it unfolds. And I want you to use it as a diagnostic to your heart, okay? I want you to do a little self-check. I want you to ask this question honestly in your heart of hearts. Do I love Christ? And I don't, I don't mean 
love Christ in the way he's often talked about today. Jesus is not a granola bar, is he? Ooey, gooey, rich and chewy Jesus, I just love him, right? That's this, this silly way that sometimes we talk about Jesus. He is not a granola bar. He is the risen Lord of glory. And when he touches a life, it changes everything. And it's not just that he produces little robots of obedience. We are glad to submit ourselves under his lordship, but his commandments are not burdensome to us because we love him. And there's something about that love for him that will not go away no matter how far we go, no matter what we do. He's coming for us. That's his promise to us. And I want you to see that. And I also want you to see this. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, if anyone does not love the Lord, and he uses a word there for love, it's not the typical agape, he's committed to the Lord. He uses the word of affection. If anyone doesn't have strong passion and affection for the Lord, speaking of Jesus, he's accursed, which means he's not saved, which means he's on his way to hell. The issue of love for Christ, biblically defined by what we're going to see in this passage here, is the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. And what you're going to see Jesus do as he goes after Peter is to restore him back to the place where love is back to full throttle. And the Peter who is going to find himself boldly preaching in Acts 2 is the same Peter who stood in that fire and denied that he even knew the Lord. In part, he got there to that boldness because of what Jesus does in this moment to restore him. And so look at verse 1 of John 21, and I want you to see this. It says, after these things, what are these things? This is when Jesus rose from the dead. This is when Jesus revealed himself alive. Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That's another word for the Sea of Galilee. This is the, this is the famous lake, as it were, where they had so much ministry together. And he manifested himself in this way. Verse 2, Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and who? John, good job. And two other disciples were together. Verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Now I need to stop you right there. This isn't as if he's like, I'm hungry, guys. Jesus has told us to meet with him at a rendezvous point in Galilee. He's risen from the dead. We've seen him. We know he's alive. All of our hopes have been realized. I'm hungry, though. You want a bite? That's not what he's saying. The language here in the original is so specific. I'm going back to fishing totally, utterly, which is the very thing that he did before the Lord called him into ministry, remember? He said, leave your nets, you come follow me and be fishers of what? Be be fishers of men. Now Peter's saying, I'm done. And he's not denying Christ and walking away from Christ. He says, I don't want anything to do with him. What he's saying is, how can he ever use me? What he's saying is, I have been such a disappointment to the Lord. I have been such a sellout to Christ. What in the world could he ever do with my life? I'm too far gone, guys. Don't you understand? It's over. I mean, I'm glad for grace and all. And I'm glad he doesn't let go. But, but my relationship with Jesus has, has been utterly frustrated. And there is a point that I have crossed, and it's a point of no return. I'm done. Who's with me? Well, they said to him, we'll also come with you. I mean, Peter, no, no way to overstate his influence on these guys, compelled these guys to say, we're coming too. And so they went, and they got into the boat, and that night they caught what? They caught nothing. Why is that important? Because ever since the Lord called Peter to the ministry, he always rerouted the fish away from Peter's boat. He could never catch anything. God's even at this moment not letting him find any success at all in this venture to run from Christ and to go back to the life he knew. And right here, students, is the first thing I want you to see about a, a real and healthy love relationship with Christ. It is inescapable. 
it is inescapable. Because at this moment, from the beach, Jesus is beginning to work a miracle that is going to frustrate Peter's attempts to try to find any sort of identity for himself outside of Christ and outside of his calling. Verse 4, when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, and the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? I don't know about you, but if I'm an expert fisherman, that would irritate me a little bit. Wouldn't that irritate you? Yeah, I didn't catch anything. I've been fishing all night. At night is where either the fish are asleep or fish can sort of rise up to the top. Early morning is the best opportunity to catch. They're hungry. We got nothing on this lake where we have built an enterprise prior to our relationship with Christ. And they answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll find a catch. So they cast and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Now, why is this detail included? Why is John so concerned about net and which side of the boat it was thrown over and the number of fish inside the net? Because this is reminiscent of Luke 5 when Jesus did the very same thing. He's trying to say, I'm coming for you. And a true relationship with Christ, listen, is inescapable. Jesus is coming for Peter. He's coming for Peter especially. He's coming for all the disciples who at this moment are under Peter's influence. But Jesus is working a miracle from the beach to remove the fish away from Peter and to teach Peter again a lesson of dependence and also to recognize that he is now coming for Peter, but he will not take a Peter who will do it himself. He's going to frustrate Peter, and listen, he's going to frustrate us in our attempts to ever move forward in our faith without him and without a love relationship with him that is right and restored. God wants us, in other words, to be frustrated and miserable apart from him. He wants us to be frustrated and miserable apart from him. I sat with a girl yesterday in my office and she said, I love drugs. I said, thank you for your honesty. But I don't don't want the kind of lifestyle that drugs gives me. And I would really like Christ. I said, why do you want Christ? You know what it boiled down to? I said, here's what you're saying to me. You want Jesus for his goodies. And you want your life of sin too. And you want to find a way where you can merge both without being frustrated by God. Do you understand how loving it is for God to frustrate you? Do you understand how good it is for God to stand in the way? I said to her, I said, what about my four-year-old? She says, I love trucks. And so I'm going to play in the middle of the highway. You think that's okay? She's like, no, that'd be horrible. I said, I think it's good. She loves it. I'm going to give it to her. She goes, what kind of dad would you be? I said, well, what's wrong with you? It's her life to live as she wants to. She wants to play in the middle of the road. She likes the sound of horns. Who am I to tell her that it's bad for her? She goes, well, you, you couldn't do that. I said, what, what, would you, what would you say to me if she's running towards the street? What, would, what should I do? I wouldn't have to think. I'd run after her, and, and I'd tackle her. And you know what she'd do? She'd get up and go, Dad, you skin my elbow. That's so wrong. Not realizing what I'm sparing her from. I'm sparing her from herself. I said to this woman, you're that little girl. And you're mad at God and you're mad at me that you've got a skinned knee and a skinned elbow because you can't have your sin without consequences. And you want Christ for his goodies and he's not willing to give it to you. You need to come to Christ. And I pressed it on the gospel with her. It's the same thing with, with Peter in a different scenario. I'm not going to let you have your life of sin. I'm not going to let you go back to what it is before you knew me. Once you started in this thing with me, it is unstoppable. Once you enter into a relationship with Christ, if it is a true relationship with him, it is going to reach a place where Jesus is always going to come for you, that God who began the good work in you will perfect it. He's coming. And he's going to frustrate any effort that you make on your own to run from him. And that is so good for you. That's why David said in Psalm 32 when he was talking about how when I was silent about my sin, my body wasted away because day and night your hand was heavy on me. It's good. It's love for us that he comes for us. 
And I think the principle here is no matter what happens in your life, no matter what sin you've done, Christ will always come after you and you will not utterly forsake Him. How many of you, I'm just curious, know people in your life that have professed Christ at one time and they just have nothing to do with Him now? Raise your hand. You know people like that? That's too many of us, right? That's too many of us. What happened to those people? What happened to them? They never had it in the first place. 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us because they were not of us. And how do we know? Because they left and they were able to keep going and there was no pursuit. Christ doesn't let that happen to us. Christ comes for us. It's His grace in us to keep us and to cause us to persevere in love for Him. So mark it down. A true relationship with Christ, one where there is love at work, is inescapable. Secondly, it's unquenchable. Look at this at verse 7. As soon as Peter sees the miracle, right? It says, therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, by the way, and if you were writing a gospel, wouldn't you give yourself that name, right? I'm the guy he loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. All of a sudden, they realize this is Jesus on the beach. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, which means he was working in his underwear. You don't work in those long flowing robes in the middle of a boat trying to pull in fish. You strip down to virtually your skivvies and, and you do the work. And so there's this sense of reverence already in his heart. Something's quickening in him. It's the Lord. What's the first thing I do when I realize I'm in the presence of God? I posture myself immediately with reverence. And then, the text says, he threw himself into the sea. I love that. It's violent language. It wasn't like he said, so it's the Lord. You know, let me dive in. Or hang on a second, we've got to catch, we've got to pull this in. He threw himself in the sea as fast as he could get that coat on and as fast as he can get in the water, he was. Why? Because Jesus is there and I'm here. And there's something of the grace of Christ in Peter's life that could not be quenched. And his love for Christ, wherever Jesus was, is where he wanted to be. Do you remember that night when Jesus was taken from Peter? Remember he swore, nothing will sever me from you. Everybody else might deny you, but I won't deny you, Right? And so they're in the garden, and they're sleeping. They wake up. There's a, there's a cohort of over 600 people coming to arrest Jesus. And what does Peter do before he runs? He takes out a sword, and he slices a guy's ear off. Now, can I suggest to you he wasn't aiming for the ear? Right? He's not like, hey, come here, come here. You know? This wasn't his Mike Tyson moment. This was Peter taking out his sword, and he's swinging for the head. And this guy's ducking his head like this, and Peter connects with his ear, and the ear flies off. I think Peter was saying, who's next? I'm going to chop down everybody that wants to take Christ away from me. Why? Because he loves Christ. And even in his sin, and even in that moment where he's going back on everything that he knows to be true, even though he's wandering in this moment, as soon as he recognizes he's in the presence of the Lord, his love produces a reverence and a nearness to him. He's got to be where Jesus is. Peter's biggest problem is whenever he was separated from Christ, he couldn't handle being separated from Christ. Same thing walking on the water, right? Is that Jesus out there in the water, in the storm? Jesus, can I come to you? Well, that's going to create a divine miracle where you're going to need to defy gravity, Peter. That's okay. I want to be where you are. That's always Peter. And don't you love Peter for that? I mean, don't you identify with Peter? He's the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. He's the guy that's always doing this impulsive thing, right? But, but why? It's because he loves Christ. He wants to be with Christ. That is, that is unquenchable. And the text tells us in verse 8, the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards away, dragging the full net of fish. So here's Peter in a full sprint swim, the length of a football field to get to Jesus. He wants the Lord. And there is something unquenchable. And I think, students, that the principle is clear, right? You can't stay away from Christ. 
not only because he comes after you, but because of what longing he has already put inside of you. That is a true relationship with Christ. And I would ask you students, when you wake up in the morning, you think, I want to be with Christ. Or you're thinking, oh, what class do I have next? You know, do you wake up, good morning, Lord? Or do you wake up, good Lord's morning? You know, which one are you? Peter is like, my first thought is to be with Christ. Or as the psalmist said in the Old Testament, Psalm 73, his nearness is my good. I want him. Students, can you go any length of time without being with him? And again, I don't mean, I don't mean granola bar theology here, okay? I'm not talking about, oh, the sweetness of just sitting still before him. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being in his word and listening to his voice and following him and drawing strength, knowing that his spirit is in you to live for him, to show him your love today. That's what is awakened in Peter. He's miserable until his love for Christ is able to express itself. Thirdly, a healthy, true relationship with Christ is confrontational. Look at verse 9. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus had prepared breakfast, and you know how Jesus prepares breakfast, right? Breakfast. That's how it goes, right? Jesus has got something for them to eat. They're hungry. They're irritated. Their emotions are raw. They're sleepy. And Jesus sits down and just gently feeds them breakfast. And he said to them, verse 10, bring some of the fish which you've now caught. He even provided that for them. And so Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. Why that detail's in there, I have no idea. They sat there, you know, 68, 69, 70, 71. And all there was so many, the net was not torn. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. And this is the third time, John tells us, that Jesus was manifested to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, verse 15, here it comes, the shoe's about to drop. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Now, in that moment, that's the moment that Peter was waiting for. It's the moment he dreaded the most. The last time he saw those eyes at that level of intensity, they were but slits in his puffy face. Now, those risen, omniscient eyes that burn like a flame of fire are staring into his soul, and Jesus says, I got a question for you. Now, this is gentle, but he's going right for the throat. Simon, which, by the way, is always the name Jesus used for Peter when he was acting like his old self. Simon. Son of John, do you love me more than these? Time out. What's these? Well, it could be the disciples. You love me more than all these guys? Remember what you said? Though all else will fall away, I never will. You still hold to that? He could be saying, do you love me more than fish, tackle, bait, all that you're going back to? We don't know which one it is. It could be both. The question, though, is Jesus is saying, do you love me with unswerving devotion and commitment? Here's agape. Do you love me with passion? You love me with devotion and selfless sacrifice. Well, what's Peter going to say? Oh, yeah, totally. Is there any question about that? Well, he just denied the Lord that he knew him. He can't claim that. And so he says, look at this. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And if you're reading your English Bible, it looks the same. It's not the same. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I, and Peter uses a different word. He, you know that I like you. Do you love me with unswerving devotion? I think you're a good friend. Now, he's not saying, no, I don't love you. What he's saying is, I I can't claim that, but I have something for you. And he said to him, Jesus did to Peter, tend my lambs. 
Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Same equation. Do you, with unswerving, sacrificial, selfless devotion, devote yourself only and all to me, heart, soul, mind, and strength? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I like you. Now, this is confrontational. This is hard. And what Jesus is interrogating is his love. This is really at the heart of the issue. And part of what Jesus is trying to do is restore him. Three denials, three moments of affirmation, and three times where he reiterates his call to ministry. Okay, well, if you at least like me, verse 16, shepherd my sheep. Don't go back to fishing. Go forward with men. Verse 17, now here's where the knife twists. It's already in his heart, but he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And your English Bibles say love, but Jesus says, he uses Peter's word now, do you even like me? Now this hurts, doesn't it? Do you love me with selfless, sacrificial, unswerving devotion? I like you. I like you. Are you sure you even got that? This is something I would not want to hear from Christ. I'd rather he scream at me. I'd rather he say, you stupid, foolish disciple, how long have I been with you? And he said that a few times, did he not? But instead of going right to the heart and go, do you even like me? You got anything in there? Well, what's Peter do? He's got to appeal to omniscience. Lord, you know all things. You at least know that I like you. Don't miss it, students. When the Lord comes after you, to strengthen you in his relationship. The thing he's looking for more than anything else is his love for you. It's like that hymn that I struggle to sing whenever we sing it. Maybe you sing it here. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus tis now. I always kind of double take on that last line. If ever I've loved you in my whole life, the the brimming fullness of my love has never been higher and overflowing than right now. I struggle to sing that. It brings me up short. What I'm willing to sing is in mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore you in heaven so bright. I'll sing with the glittering crown on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus tis now. I can sing that with integrity in heaven. I'm struggling to sing it now because I know how fickle I am in my love and I identify with Peter. The very thing that Jesus is going for is this love. Don't feel slighted if he comes at you to question your love. Don't be offended if, if I stand here with an open Bible and say, do you love him? Because this is what he's going for. This is the word of Christ to you. And he would say to your heart this morning, do you love me? And let me not just ask your heart. Well, let me ask the person sitting next to you. Do you look at the life of the person sitting next to you and say, he loves Christ. She loves Jesus. If I know one thing about that person, I know that there is love for Christ. What would your friends say? The ones that really know you. What would they say? That's what Jesus is going for. Number four, quickly, a true love relationship with Christ is undeniable. Look at verse, well, 15 through 17. If you love me, what? Prove it. Tend my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. If you love me, then I expect something to evidence that love. It is proof. It is a willingness to set aside these nets, this bait, this tackle, and go back to what you know is the expression of love for you that I've called you to, and that's ministry and it underscores what jesus said already in his ministry to them luke six forty six. why do you call me lord lord and don't do what i say a person who really has a relationship with christ is obedient to christ but obedience to christ not because they want to avoid the consequences of not being or because they want to earn his favor but because they love him jesus said in john fifteen eight to the same group by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples See, that love for Christ, if you have, it's going to show up. It's not like, I love him, but I know my life doesn't say that, but I do. Well, you're back to granola bars. A true love relationship with Christ is undeniable. Fifth, it's sacrificial. Look at verse 18. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. What's he talking about here? Somebody else is going to stretch out your hands. They're going to bind you up. What is he referring to? Crucifixion. We know that because of verse 19. He said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. See what happens? Peter, you're going to get another chance. You're going to get another opportunity. When you were young, you were tough. You were rugged. You're a fisherman. People aren't going to mess with you. When you become an old man, they're going to take you, kidnap you, bring you to a place where they're going to stretch out your arms. And you know what you're going to do? You're not going to deny me. You're not going to say, let me go to hell if I know him. You're going to say, I am not worthy to die in the way he died. You know how Peter died? History tells us. Crucified upside down. He says, you can't crucify me that way. I'm not worthy to die the way that Jesus died. Hang me on my head and let me show my love for Christ. That's Peter. And instead of denying Christ, he's going to glorify Christ. He's going to get a new opportunity. Peter is being restored. And that relationship with him is not only going to be evident by his obedience, but by his sacrifice, which of course was a reminder of what Jesus said when he first called, right? Matthew 16, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Peter, you're going to take up your cross, and I'll give you the grace. And I can tell you right now, on my word, you will glorify me. Finally, and there's so much more I could say, believe me, about this. A true, healthy, authentic love relationship with Christ is inescapable, unquenchable, confrontational, undeniable, sacrificial. Number six, lastly, individual. That is to say it's just you and him. It's not about your classmate and him. It's not about your mom and him. It's not about your friend and him. It's you and him. Apparently, verse 19, when Jesus said, follow me, he started to walk. Not only reiterating the call of discipleship, but literally, come here. And verse 20, Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So they're on a walk here, and John's kind of trailing. No doubt getting information for this gospel. This is good stuff, right? This was the one who would also lean back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one that betrays you? It's John. He's identifying himself in a humble way. And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, verse 21, Lord, and what about this man? I mean, you just told me I'm going to get crucified. What about him? What's his deal? What do you got going on him? How's he going to glorify you? I mean, if, if I'm going to die for you, that's cool. What about John? He's always been your favorite. Verse 22, if I want him to remain until, the, until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Get that? Peter, keep your nose in your own bag. Peter, stop thinking about everybody else. The one thing that you'll need to get it right between now and when you die is if you can just keep this one simple command in the forefront of your thinking, you follow me. Forget everybody else, follow me. Push every other distraction aside, follow me. Don't worry about what I'm doing in their life, follow me. Don't worry about what's going to happen in the future, follow me. And there's a rumor started in the church, and that's no surprise. Here's one of the first ones, that Jesus um, was going to come back by the time John, before the time John would die. So Jesus is going to come back in just maybe 30, 40 years. And that's not at all what Jesus was saying. He was simply saying, it is my sovereign prerogative over your life to dictate where you go and what you do. And at this moment, Peter, resolve in your heart that you're going to let go of all claim again to your life. And let's go back to basic Christianity 101. You follow me. Let's go back to the fundamentals. Love me, follow me. Students, where are you at? Is this you? You, you, you have many of you Christian parents. You come to a Christian school. You go to a Christian church. You have Christian Bible classes. Some of you think you have a Christian dog. Where are you at? Can you say, I love him. 
I follow him. And what you said this morning resonates with my heart. I will renew my commitment to him as my Lord. And whatever that means for me, between him and me, I'm going to settle that. I'm going to grow. Some of you are sitting there going, I go to Christian school. I have Christian parents. I attend a Christian church. But you're talking about somebody else. You're reading somebody else's story. Today is the day for you to find salvation. Today is the day of salvation, Scripture says. Today is the day where you take seriously, what is my level of love for Christ? And if it's not there, students, you need to repent. And you need to know that there's a Savior with His arms open wide, ready to receive you and embrace you. If there's a facade, let it go. You say, well, people are going to think of me of this, or I'm going to lose this. That's right. You have Christ or you have nothing. I said to that woman yesterday in my office, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You've got to lose in order to win this one. You've got to lose your life to find it. To live, you have to die. Will you come to Christ truly? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the time we've had in your word this morning. Thank you for what you have shown us here. It's so good that you gave us a book like the Gospel of John that tells us all about your son and all about how to be saved and all that he's done for us to die and rise again, but all that it means now for us who are indeed in love with him, what our lives will look like. pray for every student in this room that there would be some careful introspection and some honest evaluation about their love for you. Don't let the heart harden, Father. A message like this will bring us up short. It will show us where we need to grow. Don't let us take these notes and file them away somewhere. Let them scour our hearts so that what remains is a honest, loving, authentic relationship with your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Justin Erickson from Highland Park Church that came from Nebraska Christian Schools Chapel. For my co-host, Josh Cumston, this is Gordon Thiessen. Thanks for joining us as we encourage, engage, and equip Christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus.